Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's time for your midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Today is Wednesday, May 31st. We're continuing in our study of 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, and we're going to be talking about the destiny of spiritual imposters or false teachers. In today's study, we're going to talk about how Peter is writing to warn the churches about the lifestyle of these false teachers. Yes, we can often recognize false teaching by the teaching itself, but Peter tells us we should also recognize the false teacher by his lifestyle. So what is the false teacher like, and what will be his fate? We'll find out in a moment, but before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we praise you, we worship you, and we thank you for the breath that we have this day. Thank you that we could come together to study your word. Teach us today about what these spiritual imposters are all about and how to recognize them. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for Jesus and the cross and the grace that you've allowed us to have. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. Turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, and let's find out what Peter has to say. Starting with verse 13. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. With an appeal of twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they've never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Let's begin with verses 13 and 14 and look at the false teacher's addiction to sin. Starting with verse 13, their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. Our first question today is this. What does Peter reveal to his readers about these false teachers? In this verse, Peter writes to assure his readers that the false teachers will not get away with what they're doing. As much as they seem to be succeeding in the present moment, they will suffer wrong as the payment for the wrong they're doing. In other words, God is paying attention, beloved. Judgment and destruction will follow. Now, one of the characteristics of these false teachers was an indulgence in sexual immorality. Peter now writes that they are so bold about their sexual sin that they carouse or revel in their immorality right in broad daylight. They even lack the shame to hide their sinful choices under the dark of night. 
In a more modern sense, this is the loud and proud attitude. Those who take this approach do not hide their sin and are not subtle about it. Instead, they parade it for others to see. Peter reveals that these false teachers are disfiguring the church like a stain or a blemish might ruin a shirt. They feast with the true believers while continuing to tell their lies about who Jesus is. This feasting, Peter mentions, may refer to immoral partying that people in the church were being lured into by these false teachers. Or it may be that the false teachers were attending the official gatherings of the early church, which included taking part in the Lord's Supper, creating a serious stain on the meaningful time before God. Now this all relates to an important point about church purity. What do you think that point is? The Apostle Paul makes this point in Ephesians 5 verse 3, which says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. In other words, these kinds of immorality should not be tolerated within the community of the church. It can be difficult to strike a balance between loving sinners and not accepting sin, but it's important for the church to stand for moral conduct. At some point, associating with an unrepentant sinner damages the reputation of the church, interfering with the spread of the gospel. Next up, verse 14. It says, They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. Here's the question. In this verse, Peter has harsh words for these false teachers. What is he saying? In this verse, Peter writes that these false teachers have eyes full of adultery. The Greek phrase implies a man who sees sex every time he looks at a woman. These deceivers are looking for every opportunity to engage in sexual immorality, but are never satisfied, never stopping. Let's break this verse down a little bit more. Take a look at the first part. It says they commit adultery with their eyes. This means, just as we just stated, they could not look on women without lusting for them. They were turning church meetings into opportunities for sexual encounters. The verse goes on. Their desire for sin is never satisfied because they were bound in sin, acting like brute beasts that follow instinct rather than rational faculties. These men were in bondage to sin and to the power of Satan. Next, the verse says, they lure unstable people into sin. And that means that like a fisherman baiting fish, these false teachers waited out their catch. They didn't waste time with the strong believers. They sought out those who were weak in the faith, had doubts, or were outside the fellowship for one reason or another. Pretending patience and interest, they would entice these people away from the faith and into their dangerous net. And lastly, that part of the verse that says that they are well-trained in greed means that the false teachers had exercised themselves in being greedy and getting what they wanted. Now, as a side note, the Greek word for trained is the word from which we get the word gymnasium. These men were really good at being greedy because no matter how much they got, they always wanted more. This verse concludes with Peter's exclamation, they live under God's curse. This wasn't apparently a very well-known Hebrew phrase meaning children of a curse. This is a crucial point for understanding Peter's meaning in this passage. Children of a curse in that time and place was a reference to those completely damned by God. In other words, in plain and unmistakable terms, Peter sees these false teachers as non-believers, that their actions show they don't have a saving faith in Christ. Next, let's look at verses 15 and 16 and talk about a comparison to Balaam. 
And we're going to read verses 15 and 16 together, so let's do just that. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money and do wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. The question is, Peter once again uses an Old Testament example to apply to these false teachers. How is this story similar to what's happening in Peter's time? These false teachers were following in the steps of another man who led many astray. I would encourage you to read Numbers chapters 22 to 24, because this is the story of Balaam, who was hired by a pagan king to curse Israel. He did what God told him to do for a time, but eventually his evil motives and desire for money won out. The false teachers were not interested in serving God. Instead, they were using religion for financial gain and personal achievement. Balaam claimed to do only what God told him, but the money was a strong temptation. Balaam probably thought he could figure out a way to obey God and still get the money anyway. So on his way to sing King Balak, three times Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in their path ready to kill Balaam. Each time, the donkey stopped and refused to go forward. Each time, Balaam beat the donkey. Finally, the donkey rebuked him with a human voice. Balaam obeyed God, and he refused to curse the Israelites. Like Balaam, these false teachers' attitudes were similar to madness. Balaam at least listened to the donkey. The false teachers didn't listen to anyone. And like Balaam, the false teachers expected to get away with their sin, but they would receive their reward in time. Now let's look at verses 17 through 19 and talk about the false teachers' failure to satisfy. Verse 17 says, These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. The question is, why do you think Peter used references to images of nature to talk about these false teachers? For those who followed the false teacher's path, it would leave them thirsty and unquenched. Like a dried up spring or a lurking rain cloud that provides only a bit of mist, their teaching will lead to disappointment. More than that, it will lead to destruction. These false teachers who lie about Jesus will reach the destination that is reserved for them, the blackest darkness. This is likely a description of hell, a place without even a hint of light. Verse 18 says, They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. The question is, how did these false teachers draw attention to themselves? According to Peter, these liars used words as tools of deception. He says, if you listen, you'll notice their impressive sounding talk is really boastful and empty. The sad truth, though, is that their words and invitation to sexual sin were very effective. Those who had just begun to escape from the lies of the culture attracted by the gospel of Jesus found the false teaching of these men hard to resist. Once again, the same is true in the modern world. Immature Christians in particular are easily swayed by these temptations. No wonder Peter sounds angry. With their lies, these false teachers were attempting to snatch people away just as they were coming to Christ, all for their own arrogance and profit. Next up, verse 19, it says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. The question here is, what kind of freedom were these false teachers promising? And what is true freedom? The world typically claims that freedom means doing whatever you want, whenever you want, and however you want. 
These false teachers in the early church promised this kind of freedom. For them, this meant guilt-free indulgence in every kind of sexual sin. They claimed this came with no risk of God's judgment. As Peter has made clear, that promise was a lie. It's not just wrong because these teachers are wrong about Jesus. It's also wrong by the practical evidence of their own lives. They promise a freedom they don't have. Instead of being free to indulge in their sexual passions, they simply cannot do anything else. They are, in fact, slaves mastered by their own sinful desires. This is one of the most poorly understood but powerful truths about sin. What Satan tells you is an expression of freedom, is actually the very thing which enslaves you. Peter recites what may have been a proverb of the day. He said, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. This can be positive or negative, though. Those overcome with addictions and sins are certainly controlled by those. On the other hand, Peter began this letter by referring to himself as a slave or bondservant of Jesus Christ. One of the promises of life in Christ under the Master Jesus is true freedom, even from the harsh demands of our sinful selves. What then is true freedom? It's the ability to say no to ourselves, to leave the path of destruction and say yes to Christ and find true joy, meaning, and abundant life, just as John 10.10 says. Lastly, let's look at verses 20 through 22 and talk about the fate of these false teachers, these spiritual imposters. Verses 20 and 21, let's look at those together. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Here's the question. What is Peter's message through these two verses as it relates to these false teachers and to us as well? The false teachers had identified themselves as believers, but as it said, to then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, only to be made worse off than before. These false teachers had learned about Christ and how to be saved, but then rejected the truth, the only way out of sin, the only way of salvation. Like a person sinking in quicksand who refuses to grab a rope that's thrown to him or her, the one who turns away from Christ casts aside his or her own means of escape. But Peter goes further. He says in 21, it would be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it, than then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Here, Peter offers a comparison, not an option between the two. He said ignorance is better than apostasy. Maybe you've heard that word. It simply means the abandonment or rejection of the faith, because the one who persists in self-delusion, in fact, refuses God's help and forgiveness. In the case of the false teachers, they not only violated it, but taught others to do so, giving them an even greater responsibility. A child who disobeys his parents out of ignorance of the rules is better off than a child who deliberately and willfully disobeys. In the early church, apostasy was considered an especially horrible sin. To be baptized and then turn from the faith amounted to committing the unforgivable sin, for it meant turning one's back on God, never to return. So Peter wrote these stunning words that they would be better off not ever having known God's truth than deliberately blaspheming his grace, love, and forgiveness by rejecting them. And now our last verse for today, verse 22. It says, They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to his vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Peter now writes that 
those who persist in continual sin are like two kinds of animals. Here's our question. What animals are they, and how does this apply to Peter's overall message? In this verse, Peter's quoting from Proverbs 26:11, which says, A dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. So his first animal reference to people who persist in continual sin is that of a dog. Similarly, these people are like pigs that can be scrubbed clean but will soon return to wallow in their muck again. This is a very applicable analogy for Peter, as pigs and dogs were two of the most despised and unclean animals in Jewish thinking. In other words, these people were never truly changed in their nature. Dogs and pigs do what dogs and pigs do. Those truly in Christ don't merely get rid of the sin in their lives and become acceptable to God. Through faith and by God's power, true believers are changed in their very nature, becoming more and more like Jesus over time through the power of God at work in them. This does not mean perfection, my friends, but it does mean a changed life. Those who show evidence that they will never be changed, it stands to reason, are still exactly what they used to be. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of our study today, 2 Peter chapter 2. We completed the chapter with verses 13 to 22. Let me give you a brief recap of what we talked about today. Peter began by assuring his readers that the false teachers in their midst would reap what they sowed. He compared them to Balaam, who abused his position of religious authority. Then Peter described the false teachers' words as boastful and empty. The only appeal these false teachers had was their words appealed to sinful human nature. And lastly, Peter spoke of the fate of these false teachers, saying that they kept returning to their foolish ways. Now next week, we will finally complete our study of 2 Peter. That means 1 Peter is done, 2 Peter will be done this next coming Wednesday. We'll be studying 2 Peter and looking at chapter 3, the entire chapter, verses 1 to 18, and we'll be finishing by speaking about anticipating the Lord's coming. Definitely going to be a great study. Don't want to miss it. And by the way, if you've missed any of these previous studies, whether podcast or video, you can catch up right here on this media platform. And we are grateful for you always joining us. Well, that does it for me today. I appreciate you being with me. I'll see you right back here next week. Until then, take care. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.